And all right, I think I think we are live. Yay! Woo! We did it, team. Yay! Woo! Good job, everybody, especially Tom. Uh, Yay! <laughs> especially Tom. Oh, oh it, it looks like you did, cause Tom is live now on Laughing in the Void. Yeah, oh, on my, my phone, Tom is live now. <laughs> Yay. Yay! Okay, so we have proof. That's yes. good. I am so excited. Uh, all right, well, uh, hello and welcome to episode three of Laughing Into the Void. I'm your host, Tom, and as always, co-hosting with me is the lovely Rosalind Paris. Before we get started, I just want to say, if you enjoy the stream, you can watch our previous broadcasts on our YouTube and Facebook channels, or listen to them on Spotify. And you can find all the information for that on our website, in a little part of my screen, uh, district-comedy.com. Um, also, if you want to support us, be sure to tell your friends to watch, uh, like, share, and subscribe, depending on what platform you're on, and give a big welcome to Desiree! Yay! So, joining us today is Desiree Walsh, a Toronto-based comedian with cerebral palsy. She has been doing stand-up for about four years. A former competitive swimmer, she traded in early morning uh, swim workouts for late nights of stand-up comedy. She has been featured on Breakfast Television, The Real Abilities Film Festival Comedy Night, and the now-defunct show Nighttime TV on Rogers Cable Mississauga? Is that how that's right? Yeah, that's a city in Canada, close to Toronto. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> New facts. Um, and she's also on Friday Night Funnies, this Friday, right, at 7.30 p.m. Pacific. Yep, that's true. Okay, awesome. And then lastly, you can follow her on Instagram at Desiree.Lisa.Walsh underscore. Yes. Oh, okay. We got through it. Awesome. <laughs> got through the whole intro. So, hi, Desiree. It's hi, just, Tom. It's all, yeah. um, so, uh, I'll just uh, get the ball rolling. Um, so, for those who are tuning in and may not be familiar with the wonderful comedic stylings of Desiree Walsh. How would you describe your sense of humor? Oh, um, I guess it's somewhat dry. I describe my comedy as, I don't know if you had it in America, but do you know, did you guys have the speech competition from like grades four to, to eight in school? Oh, like something like, like the, forensics the, the public speaking competition where you all wrote a speech and then you presented it and there was like a competition and the winners got to go to the gym and compete i feel like no but it, so, it sounds like something sounds yeah. comparable to something we would have done <laughs> okay so i describe my comedy stylings as you know the kid that didn't have any help with their speech? <laughs> and you know the kid that it was very obvious that an adult wrote their speech? I'm like a combination of those people. That is what my stand-up comedy is. I am a combination of a child who did not have help writing their grade four speech composition and also the child who had too much help for their grade four speech competition. Um, and I guess I would describe like my sense of humor as like really kind of dry. I like stuff with like social commentary and um, that's like a bit sarcastic. Um, 
things I can relate to are funny. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, and I think it's um, it's interesting too because I feel like sometimes people have different answers when like they're talking about the sense of humor that they have, like the stuff they think is funny versus the type of comedy they execute. Yeah. But they're kind of the same for you or? Um, sort of. I mean, I guess in my actual sense of humor, like I, I enjoy stupid movies, but not gross movies. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, I do actually appreciate when comedians have, like, a social commentary on something. Like, I, I think that's really great. Um, Comedy has sort of ruined, like, finding things funny for me. Um, <laughs> oh, really? I guess so? that now when I watch comedy, I'm actually looking at, like, the delivery of jokes or, like, what they're doing or what they're saying versus, like just watching something for the sake of watching it. <laughs> yeah, that can be hard when you, yeah. like, get into, like, the craft of it, and you're, like, yeah. analyzing yeah. the technical side. Yeah. Um, I like even, to like, take myself way too seriously. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's what I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, what comedian takes themselves too seriously? I wouldn't know what that's like at all. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Well, right. um, that kind of goes into like, uh, when did you start getting into comedy? Um, what inspired you to do so? Um, were there like any comedians that you were just like, oh my God, they're so funny. Or like, oh my God, they suck. I could do better than them. <laughs> I really like John Mulaney, but everybody always makes a face when I say that. So I always lie and say I like Whitney Cummings. <laughs> and and I mean there's there's nothing wrong with Whitney Cummings. She's a great comedian. She's just not my favorite. I love Whitney Cummings. I love the special she did where she had like the sex doll of her. Yeah, that, that was actually funny. I like her podcast. I think it I mean it gives me anxiety attacks, but I also find it really, really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I, there's nothing wrong with John Mulaney either. I also think that he's very funny. Um, but um, so when did you like start doing stand-up though? I kind of mentioned in the intro because of the research that I did that oh. like, you had been doing it for about four years. Yeah, um, I think I had my like four year anniversary in October. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And I started, I took the courses at Second City, and I kind of started because I got um, a new job at a bank, and it was like the first time I had disposable income, <laughs> so, so I thought it would be fun to like do something, and kind of like most of the consistent feedback I've gotten at all my jobs is you were very stupid, but you were really funny. Oh. So I decided to to like just try it out and um I kind of thought I'd take like the one course and that would be it and then it just kind of snowballed into like this. Well, yeah, cuz you do like 
a ton of mics now. And we'll like get into like, I guess, you know, how open mics have kind of made this virtual community in the pandemic recently. But like, you do like five mics in a night. I'm like, <laughs> damn. <laughs> Sometimes. And uh, I think you posted like somewhat recently, like your total is up to like, over 500 now. Yeah, it's it's actually like 614. Ah, girl. <laughs> oh my god. That's very impressive. Um but what was your experience like then with the second city? Cuz I actually did a summer in Chicago myself where I did some classes there. Um so I'm interested to hear what your experience was. Oh. Um it was it was pretty good like it was it was a lot different than what i thought um i was very lucky in that the man that taught the course was a um i don't think this is going to mean anything to american viewers but he was a former like yuck yucks comic which is a big comedy club in canada and he is probably a little bit older than my parents and he was really into like this is how it is and like he said things like there are more comics than stage time in toronto like <laughs> it's very hard to get fit like all things that are true just like um, he just deliver them in a terrifying way <laughs> kind of and i mean like if you go into like what I've kind of discovered after being a comedian is that, like, regular people don't actually know how stand-up comedy works. Because, cause, like, I had never been to an open mic. I, I'm not even sure I knew they existed. Maybe I did. Um, so I just kind of thought, like, you... Like, I, I actually don't know what I thought. Like, I think I thought, like, I'd do this course and then do the show and then my next thing would be a Netflix special because I, <laughs> I was that good and I mean like it, it kind of makes sense with like what you see on TV like um this is a poor example but it's the only person I could think of but like Russell Peters has probably he's a you guys know who that is right it's a Canadian comic who's kind of a big deal sort of yeah I Okay, Roz good. does, I don't. Sorry. Yeah, he's been in a couple movies, I think. Anyways, so, like, he's obviously been at stand-up comedy a very long time, but if you don't know, like, you just think, like, I mean, he, he, like, he blew up when I was in university, so according to me, he'd only been doing stand-up comedy for four years, and look at all the success he was getting. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think it was more of, like, a bit of, it was only shocking because I didn't know, and I think he was doing that because he didn't want people to be like, well, why don't I have a Netflix special? I've been doing this for a solid 10 minutes. Um, and I, I think he just wanted to paint, like, a really realistic picture of yeah, how stand-up like comedy was in Toronto. <laughs> and I think in some ways, like, it helped me because I was like, okay, it's going to be really bad. And then it, when good things started to happen, I was like, okay, like, so it's it's not so bad. And then I, I think I was able to keep going because my expectations were so low. 
Yeah. I, yeah. And that's also like a good way to approach it, I guess, if you're an instructor. Yeah. I would be worried, like, especially for an introductory class that you'd be scaring people off. But I also get what you're saying as far as like, I feel that can be the case a lot of the time for celebrities. It's like, it's all of a sudden overnight, they're like a hit sensation. And then like you talk to them and it's like, no, actually I've been in the game for like 20 years, well, um, just not making it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I should have done said this instead, but apparent Whitney Cummings has been doing stand-up comedy for like 15, 20 years. Yeah. And yeah. and like, she's she's just, I mean, she's been getting stuff for a long time, but it took a while, is, is my point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, cool. But yeah, and um, you kind of, you mentioned uh, university. And also part of my stalkery was um, you have a background in philosophy and human resources. And then I forget what your master's was in again. It was- Inclusive ac- design. Architecture? Oh, okay. Inclusive That's right. Inclusive design. design. Okay. Yeah. So- I don't think I've heard a bit yet from you as that's like centered around inclusive design, but I'm kind of curious, do you think that those interests intersect at all with your comedy? Does that ever happen? Do we get a human resources <laughs> bit at some point? Um, the only thing like human resources has kind of done and like also maybe working at a bank is it's made me hyper aware of like, like you gotta be careful what you say because there's been lots of I mean not necessarily with comedians there was um an incident in Canada where two men were at a um I think a soccer game some sort of sports sports thing and there was a female reporter doing like a sports a sports reporting if you will and um, <laughs> these these men had had some some alcohol and um, decided to call said reporter names while they were like while the TV was running like the cameras so it ended up on like the news and then said men got fired from their jobs because. Um, the company felt like it was in line with the sexual harassment policy that they had, like the code of conduct they had signed when they got um, their jobs, and and they they lost them and, um, yeah. So now like, I I am I am sort of hyper aware of stuff like that. So I think in some ways I am overly cautious. Um, so that is that is really the only way HR really intersects with my comedy career. Is it it probably ruins a lot of opportunities for me. Not a lot of fun for producers because I'm always like, oh, I, I am going to lose my job. <laughs> Like every ninety-seven seconds. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Very, very much, and that's like I guess been like a running joke 
as of late. I don't know. Maybe it's been running for longer than I've been aware. But like the, everybody getting canceled. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I, I worry quite a bit about getting <laughs> getting canceled. I can't imagine you being canceled. I love your comedy so much, <laughs> and part of it is I feel like I'm I never feel like I specifically am in danger of like being made fun of when you're up there. Um. So no. that's. That's good. <laughs> I actually work super hard not to make anybody feel uncomfortable or get offended. It, it's like the opposite of an edgelord, like where some comedians are like, I want to offend everybody and I make fun of everybody and that's how I'm inclusive. I, I am the opposite. I, I think but those edgelords, my- those are usually like white dudes. Like, they're usually, it's, like, white dudes who, it's I'm an equal offender, but, like, no jokes about men. Just, like, they're going to talk about, like, their black neighbor and their girlfriend and, you know. And their dick. And their dick yeah. a lot. Of course. Yeah. But to their credit, I have never heard the same dick joke twice. Really? <laughs> I, I never, ever, like, not, maybe, like, kind of never, yeah. Um, and, and in some ways I respect that because there's not very many disabled, um, I use a wheelchair, people who are watching this, you can't see it because of Zoom, but I do use a wheelchair and I always like meeting other wheelchair bound comedians or other disabled comedians, but with the wheelchair bound comedians especially, um, I'm always a little bit worried we will have the same jokes and then <laughs> I don't have any other hobbies other than eating like cheese out of a bag. So <laughs> I'm like this is pretty much all I have is like wheelchair jokes and that like one hey did you know New Jersey was a state joke <laughs> and the the new peanut butter sandwich stuff like that's all I have so it's a little bit scary every time I meet another comic in a wheelchair but hats off to um able-bodied white cisgendered men because I have never heard the same dick joke twice and there's more of them than there are of wheelchair bound um female comedians yeah I guess that's true (laughs) each one is unique and special Oh my god. Also, since we just said the same thing, I feel like a little bit was like looking in the mirror when you were talking about like other hobbies being like eating cheese out of a bag. That's me. The way you described like the sports game. That's definitely me. (laughs) It's like, that's that's the extent of my knowledge about it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, okay. Um, Since you mentioned that you are in a wheelchair, Um, It kind of goes into my next question, which is, uh, like, what the biggest influence on your sense of humor is, because you are a disabled person in comedy, but you're also a woman in comedy, and you're also, you know, someone who grew up in a small town, and, um, you know, these all give you kind of (laughs) insight into less represented voices in comedy, so. Yeah, um, well, what? and lots of people talk about this in terms of intersection of identity, is I find um, in being a disabled woman, like, you can be a woman or you can be disabled, but you can't be both. So, really? Um, I mean, obviously you can, like, I'm doing it right, right. now. Right, no, no, I know, but... I, I find in terms of, like, if you're going to take up a cause, you can either take up 
um, like feminism <laughs> or you can take up um, disability. And I mean, there is, there is a group of feminists that like recognize that intersectionality exists and I, I try to be one of those feminists. But in stand-up comedy, like a lot of times women will talk about certain things that happen to them because they are women and and that like those things have happened to me too a little bit but what is more like front and center on my mind is quite often I cannot get in like it's just a struggle for me to get into the venue so like all I want to do is get into the venue I could care less if there was 60 comedians all talking about their dicks I mean <laughs> I'd appreciate it if it was maybe like 10 comedians and then 20 comedians talking about something else. But, um, oh shit, that's only 30. Um, it's, we don't do I that. I wasn't doing yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but like that's usually like rather than like worrying about like, am I the only girl, am, am I the only woman on the lineup or like, will there be other women there? Like that's, I, I love to see other women on lineups and like like going to open mics with other women as well. But um, probably my first worry would be um, like, is it accessible? Can I get in? And um, like, also, Can I yeah, get on stage. Yeah, rather yeah. than like some of the other things. Oh, okay. But you don't feel like it like forces you into a perspective with your humor or oh no I think it does like I think with um like obviously I don't have a dick so I can't talk about my dick so I have right. to find other things and that 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 can be challenging as we discussed earlier but I also <laughs> um like being disabled there's so much of my life that like I find hilarious or interesting that I find I tend to gravitate to doing more jokes about wheelchair or my disability even though when I first started doing stand-up comedy somebody did mention that I probably shouldn't do quite so many wheelchair jokes because they make people uncomfortable and it will limit my career. Wow. I was and like, then, they're a problem. <laughs> but then I, I, I talked to another comedian who, um, I, her name's Courtney Gilmore and she's a triple amputee and she's not, doesn't use a wheelchair, but she is doing quite well for herself in Canada. And I talked to her about like that statement and she said that it was really interesting because again, like no one ever says to the men who do jokes about their dick, like, you should really joke. stop doing dick jokes because it makes people uncomfortable and it will limit your career. But she said, like, people are often very quick to say, like, you shouldn't do disability jokes or you shouldn't do so many jokes about, like, your period or being a woman or something like that. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of interesting because like last week we talked to Winston Hodges and he you know he's done his uh his whole stand-up special based around the morning process and around his death yeah. and one of the things like he said that he hasn't gotten that much negative feedback 
doing jokes about his father's death. And it's really interesting because in, uh, you know, putting myself in the mindset of someone who's going to walk away from a set, like, angry and offended at the subject matter, like, it seems like those two things would be equally offensive to joke about to certain people. So it's kind of interesting that you've gotten that feedback and he has not. Yeah, um, I, I don't really know. I Like, maybe it's because Winston's whole career is not dead dad jokes. So that, that might be a thing. And then also... But I also try to do this with disability jokes is I saw that special. It's very good. You should go watch it. Um, yes. <laughs> Grieving productively it, on YouTube. <laughs> yes, yes. Grieving productively. Winston Hodges. Go see it. Um, but the jokes he did, like it was very much his experience and it wasn't. Yeah, like I felt it was coming he wrote them in such a way that it was, you could very much tell these were his experiences and it wasn't like, he wasn't writing about death and dying as like a shock value. And he wasn't, he was just talking about like his kind of thoughts and feelings through the grieving process of losing his dad. And I, yeah. I mean, that's what, I kind of try to do as well with like disability jokes as I try to highlight some of the things that are interesting about being disabled or my experience without making people uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 And that's the, the thing cause. too. Is, like comedy is for many people like the vehicle by which like they have a voice and like can get people to relate to their experiences is like on the one hand like those sorts of jokes like if people aren't super familiar with that situation could make them uncomfortable but a lot of times it kind of bridges that gap and it's like oh okay like i'm laughing so the tension's kind of broken um yeah. and i can receive this information that i maybe wouldn't have otherwise been as receptive. yeah so yeah cool awesome <laughs> um I'm looking at my list here for my next question. Um, Good segue. <laughs> segways. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, did you experience any uh, like particular challenges when first getting into stand-up? Uh, we kind of talked about how just like kind of getting into the venue um, can like prove some challenges, but like anything outside of that, just as far as like maybe the receptiveness of the community or anything like that and like challenges did you overcome them i mean obviously you're doing stand-up and you're really good at it and you're pretty successful so you know obviously you've overcome it to some degree but like to what extent i guess would be the other part of that um so a big big part of like challenges of stand-up is that Toronto where I live is um, pretty inaccessible so a lot of physical venues are not wheelchair accessible and that like they'll either have stairs or mostly stairs and Toronto likes to put the bathroom in the basement so that's that's a that's a little I've I've gotten really good at holding my pee 
<laughs> like it should be a special skill on my resume and at, at like holding urine <laughs> <laughs> so that's a strong challenge to overcome yeah and like, um kind of the only like other thing is sometimes like there are comedians that will make ableist jokes or like also like again and this kind of goes back to the women woman thing like as a woman you are subjected if you go to an open mic you are subjected to um sometimes dick jokes or like very oddly sexual jokes in nature um and i think that is like a pretty common experience i don't want to get canceled (laughs) (laughs) and like that like sometimes that is hard to be subjected to and i've talked to like other comedians that are not necessarily disabled but do identify as minorities and they've kind of said like that yeah, that like, is sort of a, a thing you have to deal with with comedy is there's going to be people who are ableist and racist or sexist or a- any of the like isms or is things yeah. Um, yeah. and I mean that can be grating but you kind of like when that happens you can either try to like make fun of them if, if you can or um you can i i don't really recommend this but if (laughs) if you want you can approach the comedian like yourself after the set but i I don't super recommend that um or like you can just kind of know like that i mean it sounds bad but like are you gonna let those people like dictate um what you do and like i just try to focus on me and my art yeah which is important and is like the core of it and you know and it is kind of unfortunate that like open mics not like specifically open mics but definitely like those sorts of performance venues for comedians tend to be like subject to that dominant voice uh yeah the white cis male voice yeah uh, like a lot of other arenas um yeah and And it it is everybody else just kind of has to like duck and get out of their way yeah and i mean also like as i've gotten more into stand-up comedy like I've also made conscious choices not to subject myself to that so there are like open mics I don't go to anymore because of assholes yeah yeah basically (laughs) assholes um just because I don't really care to subject myself to that and like you know I mean it's like a form of self-care I guess is like you don't like just because it's out there like you don't always have to get in the face of adversity and like stand up for it but at the same time like if you want to and the opportunity is there and you feel safe to do so like yeah yeah um yeah but like if you if you would rather just not like 
go there and you there's a better like there's a better venue you could go to that that is not toxic like do that yeah well i think that's also a good point too is that like if a venue is kind of drawing that sort of crowd um at least for me i would take that almost an indication of the quality of the humor that i was attracting to that venue like i would think that you know i think it's easier when you are sort of like the dominant voice to get into comedy because you have less apprehensions about you know either being like singled out or whatever so i find that like the the venues that like accept that kind of behavior tend to not be the one of be the venues that you want to be performing at anyway. I yeah. guess is what I'm trying to say. Cool. Awesome. Next segue. <laughs> um, uh, oh, yeah. So you mentioned, I think it was on Monday on Facebook, uh, you said, um, <laughs> think we need to recognize the current link between privilege and accessibility that masquerades as individual determination. And I was wondering if you could expand on that. Because it was kind of like tucked away in your post. It was in the frame of a very funny joke, which I don't remember the specifics of right now. But I thought, wait a second. <laughs> There's something else in there. She's trying to gloss over it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was featured on my... I work for a bank, um, and I was featured on the employee-facing website for... Um, persons with disability international persons of with a disability day which i think is december 3rd or 5th and that was one of the things i said in in my interview and i think that just really um and i think this applies a little bit to the states although you guys are doing slightly better than we are um in terms of disability rights yes in in one thing (laughs) one thing you are doing slightly better (laughs) but another thing kind of ruined it so i think we're about the same now um yeah so what kind of what that means is i feel that like there's this really common sense understanding that if you have a disability and you are able to I guess perform hallmarks of capitalism or participate in regular society Mm -hmm. um, it is somehow because you the individual are just a little bit more determined than other disabled people who are like for example, with my employment, I am still like often, um, not in these times because the air is poison, but quite often when I am on my way to work, if my neighbors see me in the elevator, they will say, oh, where are you going? And I will say to work and they will say, oh, like, good for you. And it, it shouldn't really be like, good for you. Um, like, everyone should have access to money and we shouldn't all like 
I don't know. I just, I think that's weird. But again, like often with disability things is it's taken up as like, you just did better than all the other disabled people because you are just a little bit more determined and better and, and really like that's, that's not the case. Like I, I grew up in a white middle class family, like my parents both speak English, like my mom went to college, my mom didn't work for the first 10, like 10 years of my life, and so she was able to do things like go to school if there was a problem and advocate and like that like that really like having proper access to education is really like a game changer for people <laughs> like literacy is important yeah, yeah. And, and i think that like people people don't really think about stuff like that when they think about disabled people out in the world because i don't think people realize like how many systemic barriers there are to just like participating in society as as like a disabled person and it's it's not that like you are more determined it is usually that you've had access to resources that people either don't people have don't. Yeah. or like because of the nature of your disability you happen to be lucky enough to like get up and work a standard job like i i don't experience chronic pain um i like i don't require attendant care throughout the day which is i mean the bank if i did need that would actually supply that as an accommodation but That's most cool. most workplaces like wouldn't do that and i mean they should but like it's it's hard to get a workplace that is that accommodating so like like this is stupid, but the very fact that I can go to the bathroom by myself, like, affords me a little bit of a luxury that some people don't have. And I think, like, that is the type of conversation we're not having. And it, it's, like, there are people that have overcome, like, extraordinary circumstances, and that's great. But there's also, like, a lot of people just happen to like have access to a lot of things that other people may not. Yeah. And yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I live in Baltimore city <laughs> in Maryland. Um, so we're not exactly known for our public education system. And when I was working as a legal advocate with women who were underprivileged, I had a client who was illiterate and we i took her to court and the the state's attorney forgot that she was illiterate and asked her to oh, read no. something and they threw the case out because they didn't think she was credible because she couldn't read so she just agreed with whatever she saw and was basically denied justice because she had a mental disability and had access only to the baltimore city school systems so like that that for me was just kind of like a oh <laughs> like a really like big light bulb moment for a person who you know doesn't have the type of challenges she does and who has had a lot more privileges in their life than she had so yeah yeah that also speaks to like 
your education like you should be able to go to a public school and get a reasonable education and get support enough so that you would be able to read yeah yeah and people just don't like it's something people take for granted they just assume everyone can read and so like it's it's just like an insane thing to think about how much of a roadblock it's been in this woman's life because she didn't have access to proper education or access to support for her disability. I think she was schizophrenic, so that was, like, part of her challenges. Yeah. So, it was crazy. Yeah. I Is mean, this a comedy podcast? <laughs> it's about comedy. It's not funny. Okay. <laughs> I'm very serious. It's not a lot of fun. Very serious. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it does remind me a lot, though, of um, that Tara Westover book, Educated. Um, just like as far as like clarifying that but we're gonna move on because it's kind of <laughs> uh got other things to talk about well like and also um just like talking about like accessibility and obstacles as like being part of that system of privileges um because you are also our uh first international guest on the show and yeah that's like the thing that i have learned uh about canada is that you know uh, to give credit to your joke, there's like the whole thing about like, oh yay, Canadians have healthcare, um, which like blew my mind when you were telling that story about like the ambulance costing forty five dollars. Yeah, yeah, in Ontario, an ambulance costs forty five dollars, and we're living about it. Wait, that's it. Yeah, yeah, just the ambulance costs $45, and the rest of the hospital will be free. I'm like, 45k? What? No. No, no, it's, it's $45. <laughs> no, it's um, but, well, like, and then on the other side of that, though, like, they're not being an equivalent for something like the ADA in America. Um, for, like, I think it stands for the... Uh, Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah, there yeah, we go. Yeah, I that, think like, that's what it is. Venue. Yeah. Um, so that's crazy. And come on, Canada. But also, it's like this weird relationship where, in general, though, like the sentiment is America in America is kind of like as far as like the people who are for like universal healthcare systems, they kind of like will look at Canada as like the model, but. Uh, yeah. If they're not so perfect. Um. <laughs> uh, apparently we are getting, so this, apparently we are getting a federal disabilities, like accessibility act. Um, currently there is no policy inside of it yet. So it's not fully ro rolled out. And currently um, any legislation about accessibility is done provincially so it's it's like instead of states we have provinces so the province of Ontario does have like an Ontario like I think it's Ontario Disability Act there's accessibility might be in there somewhere too um, but it also doesn't like it doesn't really have any teeth as well so currently if you were building a comedy club and you were like, I would like to make it accessible. You could go to like the Ontario government and find like 
standards and um, criteria around what counts as accessible in Ontario. But if you decided like that was too hard um, and you just built your comedy club, the only way you would probably face repercussions is if someone with a disability tried to get into said comedy club and couldn't do it and then they filed an Ontario human rights complaint and then if the Ontario human rights complaint coalition um like picked it up and like legislated it we'll use that word i think that's right yeah sure and you would have to prove that like it would be financially impossible for you to make your comedy club accessible um and then if they found that that was not true then you would have to make it accessible or um shut down but like that whole process would probably take like one to two years if not longer and that's also if somebody comes to your establishment and decides that like they're going to do that and like filing a human rights complaint is in it's Ontario is yeah. pretty arduous and like I think in the states it might be a little bit easier but I'm not sure well I, I'm not sure I haven't looked into like how <laughs> it would work like doing that in the states I feel like um, there are still like some facilities that are like retroactively still trying to catch up with the standards of the act. Um, mm -hmm. Like, and even like still like government buildings are like, oh, well, we haven't yeah. really updated things like since the act was put into place that are still trying to like be in line with it. But it does oh, wow. sound a bit like reactive rather than proactive. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. Too. I just looked up the ADA, and it looks like it was only passed in 1990. So, yeah, it I, seems I like so. we should have had something sooner, but yeah. I don't know. Um, but also, too, so my partner owns um, a performance venue, and it's known for its open mic comedy night, and it is in a basement like it is in no way where all good comedy shows are <laughs> of course <laughs> uh, but also too like i mean and, and you know he has regulars that have um mobility problems one of my very good friends is looking at possibly um losing a foot soon so she's very worried about not being able to ever go back there again mm -hmm. and it's a crappy little club that's falling apart. So even if he had the intention to make it accessible, the amount of money it would take would be prohibitive. And then there's no resources. Like there's no one to go to and be like, I realize this is fucked. I don't want to participate in it. Give me some help and I'll fix the problem. Yeah, it'd be cool if you could get like <laughs> money to renovate your place to be accessible. Would yeah. the government not have grants for that? I would be surprised if we do. I, okay. I would also be surprised, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Canada does. I think you can get one to make your house accessible, but I might just be lying now. <laughs> I think overall we can still like come to the conclusion that Canada's still ahead in most things. Sure. <laughs> Except for 
you know, Uncrustables. Um, yes, we, <laughs> we don't have the Uncrustable, mm. and I, I think it's affecting my quality of life, to be honest. <laughs> well, Christmas oh. is coming. Maybe Canadian Santa will deliver a box load of Uncrustables this year. I, I, I was about to say, we said that at a mic at one point, but like for like the holidays this year, we're gonna like pull together whatever like money we need to ship Desiree a box of Uncrustables. In dry ice. <laughs> yeah, it has to be like in dry ice. You have to get it frozen. And then, uh, you know, I, there's been a lot of new knowledge about Uncrustables that I did not have before that Desiree has revealed to me. I guess there's like so many different ways. You either eat it frozen or you thaw it or you microwave it or you eat it out of a lunchbox. Or something. You but, and Brooks deep fried them, didn't you? Yeah, we did. That, that's how it started. He loves telling that story. Yes. <laughs> well, it's, it's a great story. <laughs> oh, God. I would love Brooks's first political scandal to be him getting caught trying to smuggle Uncrustables across the Canadian border. <laughs> oh, my God. Creating an international incident. <laughs> Uh, oh, because Desiree's <laughs> quality of life needs to be improved by manufactured PBJ. If you're gonna like be convicted of a crime, though, that's the type of thing you want to be convicted for. Yeah, like, helping somebody with a real problem. Yeah, <laughs> having uncrustables. Yeah. Um, so of which, that's like one of the things that you kind of. Uh, I've heard you say that, like, that's what you're learning from Americans is about Uncrustables. Yeah. But it kind of leads into, like, as our first international guest on the show, like, differences maybe between, like, Canadian and American senses of humor. Have you noticed any? Are there any? Um, sort of. Like, not... Not really. Um, I'm told by American comics, though, that the Zoom zeitgeist that we have, or community, is is not a true representation of American amateur comedy. Um, really? And that Zoom mics seem to be very diverse. For Literally, for the first, like, eight weeks of doing zoom comedy i started every show with wow there are other women here <laughs> and then i had to stop because people were like what is toronto <laughs> like what are you doing in your comedy scene that there's this woman that's so excited there are other women here <laughs> it's just got rid of all the women oh yeah no um i don't know i can't speak to that as much because I did like two open mics live like I feel like it was probably like three to five years ago because my memory is just really bad um and then like I got back into stand-up this year through like the zoom open mic so I feel like I don't have a great perspective on like what the normal open mic is like um at least yeah I would guess it probably depends. I think in Baltimore, it's still a pretty close-knit comedy scene. Like, all of the comedians know each other and like each other and hate each other and gossip about each other and all that crap. That's kind of like Toronto. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And, like, the guys that that run the open mics pretty much, and notice I say guys, um, (laughs) they pretty much know everybody. Um, 
but there's also a certain exclusiveness to it because they will, you know, like put their friends earlier on the set list, mm-hmm. newcomers to the back a little bit. Uh, it can be kind of intimidating when you know, like, okay, that guy just got up and everyone in the room knew him and was rooting for him to do well. And then I'm about to get up and they don't know who the fuck I am. They don't care. <laughs> and they're trying to go home because the list. Put our friend stage. back on stage. Or, yeah, like, I'm going to go home now because my friend already performed. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, I don't know. Maybe it's the, the bigger cities have less of a community like Baltimore. Does. Like, I don't know. Baltimore is kind of tiny. So everyone in the arts community has either made friends with or slept with at least one other person in the room. Right. So... Well, and I think it also has to do with, like, uh, you know, the virtual aspect of it has been, you know, a huge positive thing. I mean, for people like me, just because, like, the, you know, barrier to host a mic is so much lower when it's virtual, because I don't have to worry about, like, the cost of a venue or, like, going out and, like, pleading to people, you know, to let me use their venue and then, like, You'll, you'll then be like limited geographically to like people who can't access your mic just like because they can't drive there or whatever it is. Um, so that's getting me optimistic that hopefully even when like pandemic things are over, like maybe Zoom mics will still be a thing. Uh, I think it will. Like I think it's kind of taken its like zoom comedy is now a form like maybe it's not stand-up comedy but it's it's a form of comedy yeah and i get that like you know it's not the same you know without an audience but also i hope it's i think a lot of people are doing these zoom open mics and are like this is like pretty okay and you know is illuminating like maybe the less positive aspects of like going and doing the traditional open mics especially if like you have to drive really far and you have a commute or something um especially because you know at least for the annapolis area there weren't a lot of like live venues for comedy open mics and i think you would have to like the nearest would be like some there's like some in-between city between annapolis and baltimore but it was like still like a good like 25 minute drive away which like for me is too much um, yeah that's a long way to go for like basically five minutes five minutes <laughs> of like your thoughts on new jersey and peanut butter sandwiches <laughs> i would travel to hear them though if they were coming from you uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> We'll, we'll get you bookings at least in Maryland. That's where all the stars start in the States. <laughs> yeah, all of them. I believe it. <laughs> all right. Um, but to kind of go back, I guess, to the more like traditionally like comedic topics of the show. Um, so having like have the background at the Second City in Toronto, are there any like writing techniques that you use that like you find really effective kind of like any advice you would give people like me who struggle to write their sets every week um i'm I'm not the best writer i don't really feel very strong in writing but one of the things i did learn um after learning that there was more comedians in stage time and you don't get famous in four years 
is um, he talked a lot about like kind of getting to the point. Like he worked a lot on setup punchline and sort of kind of what I took away from that is like, if you only got five minutes, like no one in the bar, like knows your friend Michael who fell off the pier. So, <laughs> so we need to kind of take, if we're going to talk about the time your friend Michael fell off the pier, like we're going to have to take the like most funniest part <laughs> of that and like just somehow say that quickly. Um, we're cutting Michael and we're cutting the pier. Just like, fall. yeah, yeah. So just someone fell. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of what like I do is I look at like a story in my life. So a good example, and I think you've heard it, is like I, I like the pandemic because people don't touch me when I'm out anymore. Like people don't try to push my wheelchair, or, like try to help me. And it's, it's super nice. Um, so then one day when I was grocery shopping, I kind of thought like, what, like, what is interesting or funny about this experience? And then I thought like, this must be what it's like to be able-bodied because people just moved because they don't want to get sick. Right. So like now people just move for you. And like, if you're taking a long time, it's fine now. It's, it's the wait. <laughs> Um, and it, it's just like, wow, is, and I just like, kind of thought about like, what's funny is that it's a pandemic and people are very sad. And I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> I can grocery shop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I just try to take like, sort of like the really funny part of that and like, just talk about that. Or um, if like the thing about like, I like it because people no longer talk to me tell me stories about their friends who are disabled like rather than going into a big long story about something that happened like I'll just say people don't tell me about their friends who are disabled and then like just kind of add like something a little bit absurd like the I'm really sorry about your friend Mark but I don't have any wheelchair basketball information <laughs> Just to kind of give like, yeah. people sort of what it sounds like. And I think, mm -hmm. like, I'm always very mindful of, especially in a short set, that you need to get to, like, the actual funny part. And if there's going to be a longer setup, it has to be, like, a good payoff for that. Mm -hmm. And then one of the things um, Winston actually helped me do this is, like, sometimes if you break things down and make them less detailed it's 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 funnier um like i had a joke about i'm a twin and she's also disabled and i can't remember if it oh and um when we were very little like our mom took us to a doctor that said we'd effectively amount to nothing and i like i think that made them really sad but um also kind of happy because they didn't have to baby proof the house and like when I initially wrote it I had like examples of like we used to destroy my dad's stereo every day and they'd just always be like what the hell why is this happening someone said they wouldn't move and Winston was like no no like take that out and just like do like try to put in like the simpler 
example, which is my sister fell down the stairs and then my mom took her to a doctor and the doctor was like, why don't you have a baby gate? And my mom said, like, I'm not wasting money on a baby gate when a doctor told me my kids would never move. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. So like kind of a, uh, that makes sense because it's like get the jokes per second as high yeah, as possible. Yeah, yeah, like one of those. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, we're kind of reeling down towards the end there, but I have a couple more questions. Okay. Uh, which some of them I might not be able to get to, but that's fine. But um, <laughs> So I'll ask for you, Desiree, what are your goals when it comes to stand-up comedy as far as like, I heard that in that other interview that you were like maybe looking into some acting or is comedy something that you're actively pursuing doing full-time or making it into a full-time career? What's your end game? What do you um, want with comedy? <laughs> I, I don't really know. Um, I would love to do this full-time, but I, I have not figured out how you do that without living in a cardboard box. So <laughs> I'm still going to work at the bank, but I like, I would love to, if I could finagle, some way of doing this without being incredibly poor. I would love to do stand-up <laughs> comedy full-time. Um, Wait, art without being incredibly poor? No way. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm just not. <laughs> but starvation makes it funnier. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, that. I guess it does. <laughs> Jokes per second and starve. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Any last second advice for somebody looking to get into stand-up? Um, this is a p- bit controversial, but I really do recommend taking a course. Like, I think the Second City course set me up really well to get, like, a decent five minutes I could kind of take to open mics without, like, completely embarrassing myself like it may have not been completely in my voice but like I think that comes as you start being a more of a comedian as you get your own sense of a voice um it was just really good because it kind of gave me like a foundation of how to write jokes rather than just like running up there and being like trailer parks are a good place to camp I don't know. I thought that I would have laughed if you'd just gone up there and did that. Um, all right. Well, okay. It's nine thirty. It's been an hour. That went by actually a lot faster than I thought. It yeah, was this was fun. <laughs> Yay! I'm glad that you had fun. Um, yeah. Thanks for coming on and talking about depressing and funny stuff with us. Yeah. That's yeah. my brand, depressing and funny. I <laughs> also, too, oh my god. <laughs> well, like, I also, like, have been, like, trying to be more clear. And I think it is as, like, we do more episodes. But, like, I'm worried now that, like, the people who, like, initially signed up, I need to, like, give them a heads up and be like, this isn't, like, a goofy off the whole time podcast like we'll talk about serious things too just to like give them a heads up uh in case they're just like prepping like okay this is going to be like me doing an hour of material riffing off of somebody um so thank you for being so cool with talking about the serious stuff and i'm gonna do a little outro now just so that everybody has like information on everything um but um so thank you 
again to Desiree and to everybody who tuned in, tuned in you can catch us every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and you can check out district-comedy.com for details on all the things we do. Um, and again, you can check out Desiree on Friday Night Funnies this Friday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific. So I guess that's 10.30 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. And follow her. One. Yep. I, I always go backwards sometimes. Um, and then I miss those mics and I get a horrible reputation. But also remember to follow her on Instagram at Desiree with two E's dot Lisa dot Walsh underscore. And have a great night. And now I'm going to struggle to find the stop streaming button wherever that may be. Okay, here we go. Bye. Bye.